listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of South Crest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. Hey, super excited as always together. Uh, but one thing we mentioned on Instagram uh, tonight, uh, we're starting a series uh, called Five. Raise your hand if you already knew that or saw that. All right, I hope a lot of you, because we like posted a lot. Okay, that's good. That's good. You're, you're seeing it. You're being reached. Um, and so one of the reasons I'm excited is that we've, we've been in a Fruit of the Spirit a series, which has been good, but you're probably kind of a lot like me, like, like by the end of a series, just when there's like nine fruit, you're like, all right, okay, I, I kind of get the point. And so it's not that the Fruit of the Spirit wasn't good, but I think something new and exciting is always just good for us. Um, I want to start off with just a few um, examples to kind of frame what we're going to be talking about tonight. I straight up just use Google. All right. I didn't have like a, a great like book to reference this, but I, I Googled today uh, things that people maybe commonly believe or myths that people believe. Uh, and what I was really wanting to aim for is like things that you believe that are not true, but when you operate as if the reality, like it kind of put, makes you look dumb. Does that make sense? That's kind of, I couldn't Google that exactly. That's what I was going for. So uh, here's what I came up with. Um, so here's a few things I discovered. Like the, some people believe that the Great Wall can be seen from space. Y'all heard that? I've heard that. That is actually false. That's not true. Yeah. I was like, man, worldview collapsing. Like what is life about? All right. The next one is... Uh, lightning never strikes the same place twice. You heard that? Yeah. I think a lot of these were, we probably heard from like grandparents or people like 70 and up at this point. So let's just be fair. So they, can you imagine like in a storm, like lightning strikes and they're like, well, good thing is it's not going to strike again. Like who's the guy where they discovered like, oh, that's actually not true. Like lightning strike. Like, you know what I mean? Like I feel bad for that guy or, or girl. It's funny if it's a guy, let's be real. Um, there's a third one. Uh, cracking knuckles gives you the arthritis, as I've heard before. Y'all heard that before? Yeah, apparently, like, not true. This guy, like, I don't, he really cared about this. He went 60 years, he only cracked knuckles on one hand, and then they, they like, did an x-ray, compared tendons and all that stuff. It looked the exact same. No arthritis, as they would say. Um, okay, also this, another myth that, Columbus, Christopher Columbus thought that the world was flat. He was going to fall off. Apparently that wasn't true. Also flat earth theory. If any of you are out here, uh, you're welcome here, but I'm definitely preaching the gospel to you. Tonight. I'm just joking. I'm joking. So flat earth theory, people like thought that was, did not think that was true. All right, man, the room got like real tense. Apparently that's like a real issue. All right, here's some more serious things. All right, more serious things that people have believed. And this is specifically in church history. This is where we're going to zoom in. Jesus is not eternal or divine, or meaning he's not from the beginning to the end. And he, he's not God. There have been some people that have believed that, lived as if that were true. Um, some people have believed, um, all of these are still happening today, that all ways, all belief systems um, are, are valid in some way. They all lead to heaven in some sense. So it doesn't matter which God it is, like the, the person in a village in some remote area of the world, like they just choose a random God. Hey, it's okay. All belief systems end up in the same place. That's, that's a lie, according to a biblical Christian worldview, that we don't believe. Um, another one, you can 
you can earn your salvation. In other words, you can do a good enough works in your life to, to please God and sort of earn salvation. And the hope is, hey, I'm, I've got some bad, but on a scale, maybe the good will kind of be a little bit better. You know what I mean? And maybe by the end, maybe like a 60-40, like 60% good, 40% bad. We know from the gospel that's not true. And this is the last example that it's been believed that truth, truth is relative. In, in a sense, hey, there's, there's no actually absolute truth. There's kind of everything's up for grabs. Like you can't really know anything for sure. And it's kind of a funny jab at that. When someone says there's no absolute truth, you'd be like, are you absolutely sure about that? Just fun to say. Okay. Um, hey, why do, I, why do I bring up these things? Um, in confusing times and right now, a lot of confusion and uncertainty, to be fair, about what's going on in steps uh, a series that, that I think we're going to benefit from. I think we're going to be edified from. We're always edified, I believe, when we open God's Word. Um, but this, this series is going to be called Five. What we're looking at are five truths that Christians must believe. Like, you, you have to believe these things to be a Christian. Um, what I've done and what, what like many before me have done um, have kind of made these adaptations from what's called the Protestant Reformation. Uh, you know, Martin Luther and many others, he's, he gets the big name, but there are many other reformers at, at the time of the Protestant Reformation split from the Roman Catholic Church because there are some issues. There are some ways that they had strayed. You, you should know that uh, Catholic and, and Baptist, historically, that's not always been a, a, a bad word to, to one or the other. That it was called the Catholic Church for a long time, but somewhere in there, things got off, some doctrines got confused, and now we're at this huge split that we are today. Just, just a little side note for you. And so, we're looking at five essential doctrines that came out of that. And we can, we can talk about, hey, there are some unique things about being Baptist, but Baptists owe most of our, what we believe about salvation, most of what we believe um, about core doctrines that, hey, you have to believe this. This is actually a matter of being a Christian. We owe this to actually the Reformers. And so, what I do a lot of times is when I, when I preach, uh, whether I do a good job or not, sometimes I think the text is wanting to inspire us. And so I want to preach in an inspiring way. Sometimes I think the text, uh, if you were here for the First Corinthians series, uh, I think it's to kind of convict. It's kind of heavy. Sometimes it just, it's an encouraging text. Well, what this is going to be um, is more to equip you with knowledge about what we should believe. Does that make sense? And so I, I think when we we learn things about God. It should stir our affections for Jesus. But just to give you an idea, we're going to be preaching more. I'm going to be preaching more towards the head, if that makes sense, uh, for this series. So my, my hope is to equip you to know why and what you should believe as a Christian, specifically five things from the Reformation, also known as the five solas, um, just to help you there. So what, what question arises tonight? We're focusing on the first uh, sola, our first doctrine that came out of the Reformation, and that is Scripture alone. And so a really important question tonight, because these are things you must believe to be a Christian. What must a Christian believe about the Bible? What are things, hey, these, these really make or break you. Like, these are really important to hold on to. And so this also, uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy. You want to turn to your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 through 17. This verse is going to serve as a premise 
for the doc for, for the doctrines that we're going to talk about tonight. Second Timothy chapter three, sixteen through seventeen. Let's dive in. This is Paul writing to a young pastor named Timothy, giving him some encouragement. I'm sure you've heard these two verses before. It says this all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now you see verse 16. I've mentioned this a few weeks ago. You see this, all scripture is breathed out by God. What must a Christian believe about the Bible? A Christian must believe in the authority of God's word. I don't know about you, but where God has breathed, where God has spoken, like I want to be there. All right. So let's say God said this. This is a circle right here. And God's like this. I don't want to be standing over here at this. That makes sense. So where God has breathed, where he's spoken, that's what I want. That's where I want to be. That's what I want to believe. I don't want to work against where God has spoken clearly. And so here's, here's a caveat. Um, I got asked this question, I think a few months ago, and it's a very good question. This is not saying that God literally like breathed out on some papyrus and there we go. We got the New Testament, Old Testament manuscripts, all that stuff. That's not what it's saying. What it means is that it's, it's almost as, as beautiful and perfect as if God literally did that in the manner in which he used human authors and inspired them to write Holy Scripture. He didn't turn them into robots where they were like mechanically like writing. Well, we don't write with both hands, sorry. Mechanically writing. All right, that would be cool though. Like if it were going to happen anyway. Uh, that's not how it happened. God inspired men, the writers of scripture. And it's so perfect. It's so complete. It's, just, it's as if God really did breathe upon it. When we read this, we're interacting with God's word. You should treat it, when you turn a page, you should treat it as if God literally just spoke and maybe a remnant of his breath just left. That's, what, that's how you should treat the word of God. It has his stamp of affirmation. It has, it's actually embedded with the DNA of God because it's his word. But here's what's really important to know about authority. When we say, maybe say exactly right, a Christian must believe in the authority of God's word, what we mean is that at the end of the day, this wins, not our feelings. At the end of the day, what this book says, not culture. At the end of the day, this book wins. Not what any candidate of any color of any side says. And that must, you have to hold that. At the end of the day, what this book says and not what Cole Rhodes says or Brandon Hayes says or Pastor David Wilson says, this book matters. So that's why it's so important. Oh, wait, I'm going to get to that. That's a later point. So if we look back at the time of the Protestant Reformation, here's, here's where things went wrong in light of this point. Let's say that I began to start teaching you something that was counter to the word of God. So let's say I began, what's someone throw out a random thing that's not inappropriate? Jesus didn't really die. Thank you so much. I was, I was putting myself out there. Really, <laughs> That's not appropriate. That's a good caveat. So good. Let's say Jesus didn't really die. Y'all are like, dude, that's like a big deal. But I, I said, hey, I have ultimate authority as your teacher, as your journey pastor. This is what you believe. You, someone comes to me. Hey, did Jesus really die? 
Um, no, he didn't. Okay. Just walk off. That was a huge caricature. The Catholics had never, the Roman Catholics never said anything like that. But that kind of concept was starting to happen. That was beginning to happen. Is that uh, the, the Pope or whatever leadership within the church structure, smaller churches, but ultimately it was called papal infallibility. Papal is from Pope. Infallibility means without error. And so what, what the Pope said was true and authority or the Pope's interpretation of Scripture was what you had to believe. And so this, this should be so foreign to you. We're such an individualistic society as well. But how many of you like Google a Bible question? Like on your own, right? Like, it's okay, I get it. Like, you don't need to like, come to a pastor for every question, right? That, isn't that weird? But what people would do, like they would literally for every question they would have, they were totally dependent. They didn't have a copy of God's word. You think about that? They would have to go and ask like their, their, their priest or our bishop or, and ultimately that authority umbrella would come from the Pope. Here's where they went wrong. Great, I don't say great idea. I get the heart behind it. Hey, we, we need to be united as a church. Makes sense. We need to, the church needs to stay together, keep traditions. But what happens is the traditions changed. And as popes went on, what they believed about certain things changed. So believing, is it, is it necessary to go to confession? And if so, how many times? And if you do this or that, what, how much penance do you have to do? How many Hail Marys do you have to do? And they differed on that. And, but they were claiming infallibility. So if Brandon Hayes says one thing and Cole Rhodes says another thing, and I claim perfection, and he claims perfection. What, what do we have? We have a contradiction, right? And so that's what was continuing to happen over and over and over again. And so what, what we had is this issue of, hey, here is actually, we know this, Zoom for today. This is infallible, right? Like God's word doesn't change. Like it can be demonstrated from original languages exactly why these words are the way they are in English. Isn't that amazing? But we have things like this modern day example, like Pope Francis, some super progressive ideas, some crazy things that even 20 years ago, like were like horrendous. Like example, he, he has an extreme affirmation of the LGBTQ plus community, which just 20 years ago, uh, like popes and leadership would have been like, man, that, that ain't right. But guess what? He has infallibility now. So totally different belief, but he's the authority. You see that? Authority changes. The standard changes. That's where you have a problem. So many reasons, but that's why it's so important. Guys, we need a, an authority. We need a standard that doesn't change. And we don't need whiplash of what changes when culture changes. This is it. This is good. You see, when the word of God stops being your authority, pre pretty much everything is up for grabs. You become your own authority. What, what you want and desire out of life, what you want. So we say find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. When the word of God is not your authority, Hunter Peterson can say, I'm going to, what, what's Hunter Peterson's greatest pleasure and purpose, right? Isn't that right? Yeah. In steps a man by the name of Martin Luther, who was a Catholic monk. And here's what these, these doctrines, here's how it affected him. Instead of really being able to read the Bible for himself, if he were to follow the traditions at that time, you know what Martin Luther had to believe? He had to believe that he was in the hands of, really of an angry God. And he had to earn his salvation by good works. But Martin Luther knew a truth about himself that everybody else knew, but was scared to say it. I don't think we're even doing more good than bad. <laughs> like, I, I think we're so sinful that like the, the bad's gonna outweigh the good by the end of everything. 
And so because he knew that, he knew he could never please God with his works. He, he was a Catholic monk. He dedicated himself to God's service. And what happened because he just had this tension, I can never please God with my works. He began to hate God. He began to hate God because he had a faulty view of God, because his answers about God were not coming from the Bible. It was coming from a, a church leader. It was coming from a pope. It was coming from a bishop. See where I'm going with this? What did he do one day? One day, Martin Luther decided he was going to get a copy of God's word. I believe it would have been in Latin at the time. You can fact check me on that. Mauricio would be the one to fact check me on that. Fact check me, bro. Um, and he began to read, and he began to read the Psalms and seeing God's mercy and God's compassion. He began to read Galatians, since he's going to Google it right now, <laughs> reading Galatians and seeing the difference between works and the law and that you can't accomplish righteousness by, uh, through, the, through the law. And he began to read passages in, in Romans, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He began to read fa- passages like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace, you have been saved, not a result of your what? But as a gift of God so that no one may boast right? And you talk about reformation. Can you imagine when we see the historical reformation, it's but a glimpse of the reformation that happened in Martin Luther's heart. Because what he did for the first time is he encountered the true biblical gospel and he declared it. He wouldn't settle. He was an imperfect man by far. We could go into that. Like the dude was passionate, but he was a little crazy, but he, and he was a little crazy, but he knew the gospel because he read scripture for himself. Because he read the Bible for himself, he was able to know what the actual gospel was, not what the church said. That church that claimed authority, the church that claimed we have the interpretation. So what's my application for you? First is to learn to read the Bible for yourself. I'm not, do we have slides up tonight? We sure do. Thanks, guys. Um, that application's not up there, but learn to read the Bible for yourself. Be people of the word. Don't believe something just because I say it or any preacher. Take what's said and weigh it against scripture. You know, in Acts chapter 17, verse, um, by the way, I'm, it's appropriate. I'm trying to fill this uh, sermon with a lot of scripture. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, Paul is teaching this group called the Bereans in, in, in Berea, and it commends them. You know what it says about them? It said the Bereans examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. Isn't that simple? They examined to see what was true. They didn't have Google. They didn't have a plethora of literature. They didn't have a phone with a Bible on it. <laughs> they examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. That's what I'm encouraging you to do. Learn to read the Bible for yourself. Don't go off and come up with some crazy beliefs. You know, if you, if you think you've come up with something new, it's probably not new, all right? But learn to read it. Learn to get into this and understand it. What do you think? When I say that, hey, learn to read the Bible for yourself, what do you think is the number one objection to that? That's a good one. I should have thought of that. JT, get up here and preach, man. JT said, I don't have time. What's the second? I'm preaching here. What's the second? Got it. That's right. It's too hard to understand. The Bible's too hard. I, I can't understand it. Where'd you start? Isaiah? Well, all right. <laughs> Let's start in the Gospel of John, all right? Hey, 
that wasn't my real answer. Here's my response. My response is, I've got an answer to that, and that's our next point. Okay, so let's lean in that. So the Bible is too hard to understand. Hang there, keep that thought. Just spin it above your head, everybody with your finger, do that. Like, spin it. There you go. Hey, thanks for doing that for some of you that did it. All right. Um, what must a Christian believe about the Bible? First, a Christian must believe that the Word of God has authority. So the current objection is, I can't understand Scripture. It's hard to read. Look at verses 16 through 17 again. What does it say? I just flipped over to a different book. Here we go. What does it say about Scripture? 16 through 17, it says it's what? Breathed out by God. It's profitable for what? Y'all can say it. Teaching. Reproof. Correction. And for what? Training in righteousness that the man of God or woman may be what? Complete. Equipped for every good work. Let me ask you something. Do you think God would say that about Scripture and say, well, dadgummit, if only they could understand it. Here it is, profitable. But you have to have a seminary degree. Man, what are we going to do about that? No. What must a Christian believe about the Bible? A Christian must believe in the clarity of God's Word. Here, here's what I mean. A Christian must believe that it, as much as you may be reading a tough passage that the Bible is designed for you to read and to understand. Here's a, a great way, if you've heard of the Gospel Coalition, they're a great resource for lots of resources. Here's something that they said. This did not mean that all of Scripture was crystal clear to every Christian. It also did not signify that pastors and teachers were not needed to help lay people understand Scripture. That's Ephesians 1, 4, 11 through 12. Like, I love my job. I love teaching the Word of God. It's a good thing. The clarity of Scripture denoted that any person could read Scripture for themselves and discover the basic way of salvation. The Reformers did agree that parts of Scripture were difficult to understand. Hey, isn't that good? Like, theologians, like, saying, hey, that's difficult. Does that make you feel better? But these passages did not threaten the sufficiency of Scripture. Rather, the unclear parts of Scripture were to be interpreted in light of its clear parts. Indeed, it was the clarity of Scripture that helped drive the Reformers to translate the Bible into common tongue. Now, see that? Because Scripture was, in William Tyndale's words, you hear Tyndale Bible, Tyndale Commentary, he said, even for the plowboy from the lowest to the highest in terms of education status that all could understand. He said, lay people need to be fed, that's us, common people, with God's word. And they were required to keep preachers accountable, that's me, with an open Bible in their hands. Tyndale believed this so firmly that he actually did what? He lost his life for translating scripture into the common tongue. Did you know that? Lost his life because he wanted you to be able to keep a Bible open while you listen to someone preach and see if it's biblical. Isn't that beautiful? Hey, Christ died for our sins and God accomplished all this ultimately, but men like William Tyndale laid down their life so that you can have the Bible. That's pretty cool. So here's what I mean. Here's a metaphor using scripture of what it looks like to interpret hard passages of scripture in, in light of clear passages, okay? Could y'all hear that part? That's, that's really important because I'm not gonna lie. There are hard passages. I, I don't know if she's watching. Um, uh, Mary Vancura, she came to me with a question um, back in the spring and it was like, wow, that was good. Like that was like a top five, like, dang, that was hard. You know what I mean? I was, and it was like already like 11 at nine on Tuesday, like, whew, I'm tired too. Oh my goodness. But she came in with such a good question. But you know what we did? 
we interpreted it together. We talked it together in light of easier passages. And so shout out, Mary. I don't know if you're watching. Um, Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6. Let me read this. You can turn there if you want. Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6. By the way, this is confusing. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and then have fallen away to be restored to repentance because they themselves are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to open shame. Now, one, Jesus isn't coming back down and dying again because on the cross he said, Tetelestai, which means it is finished. In other words, what I came to do on the cross is done and finished. So he's not coming back. His salvation, what he accomplished, is perfect and complete. So that's really interesting to say, author of Hebrews. By the way, we can't confirm the author of Hebrews. Some have said Paul. Still don't know. But then it says something about that a person can't be restored. He's fallen away. And this is confusing because this seems to indicate that someone in this passage, maybe they can lose their salvation. Kind of seems that's what they're getting at. Is this what it's saying? I would say wholeheartedly, absolutely, as loud as I can, all caps, no. Not in light of clearer passages. I, I look at passages that are so simple and beautifully put together. I look at Romans 8 that says, in, in essence, that God perfectly saves us and nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. Not angels, rulers, powers, authorities, anything. Not persecution, not danger, sword, famine, that nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in who? Christ Jesus. I think of passages like John chapter 10, 28 through 30. It says, Jesus talking about what he does for us. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one, again, is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So can you lose your salvation? No, it's so clear from other passages that you can't. Hebrews 6 has to be referring to someone who was never actually a true Christian, but was just among Christians. It's, it's a John, 1 John um, chapter 2, verse 19 situation where it says they were among us, but they were not with us. So they were at church, but they weren't part of the capital C church. They were doing Christian things, but they were not Christians. That's what this passage has to mean. Do you see what we just did there? I don't personally feel I have to do very hard of trying to convince you. I just cited scripture to you. I just show where the word of God speaks clearly on this issue. And so what's my application for you? Interpret the unclear parts of scripture in light of its clear parts. You get in the jam, you're saying, maybe you're motivated tonight. Hey, I'm going to start South Coast Reading Plan. It's back there. I'm going to get on something else. You jump in and you're like, man, that's, that's a hard thing. Don't give up. Think about what you just read in light of things that you know for sure about God. Think about what you just read about things you know for sure about the gospel, things you know for sure about like anything that the Bible teaches and then go from there. But some of us would just say, cool, that's really cool, but I'd rather just sit here and listen to you and remember those things. And I'm gonna work hard, uh, smarter, not harder. That's fair, right? I did that for a long time. Came into church every week, 
didn't even open my Bible. I was a good Christian kid, good Christian kid. Um, I just listened, internalized it. And my theology was not because I read the Bible. It was because I listened to a man. So I wasn't holding authority. And I was basically saying with my actions that I don't believe that the Bible is clear and easy enough to understand to actually begin applying it to my life. And so if you're asking, hey, Cole, is it really necessary to learn all this? I'd say, I'm glad that you asked. And this is where our next point comes in. What must you believe about Scripture? First, you must believe it's authoritative. Second, you must believe that it's clear. And there's two more beliefs that remain. We see verses 16 through 17 again, the foundation of what we're going to talk about. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Really loud. Tell me, what's the opposite of complete? Say it one more time. What's the opposite of complete? A Christian must believe in the necessity of God's word because it's saying that God's word was given to us that we may not be incomplete, but complete. It's going to complete us. It's going to inform us. It's going to, to give us, a, it's, what's the word for, um, not DNA, um, when you're like sketching something out. Blueprint. Thank you. Thank you. It's going to give us the, <laughs> see, it's just participatory. I appreciate it. It's going to give us the blueprint of what the Christian life should be. This is from Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology book. It's one I recommend. I'd love to share it with you sometime. He says this, the necessity of scripture means that the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, and for knowing God's will but is not necessary for knowing simply that God exists or for knowing something about God's character and moral laws. So Grudem hits something here. He's saying, hey, you need the word of God. I, I just got to hold it. All right. It's just, it's just such a simple way to instill it. So he said, we need God's word to know the gospel, to, to know how to live, because that's where these are found. He's saying, hey, the son the moon, the stars, like a reasonable person that's not just angry with God because life didn't turn out the way that they wanted to, a reasonable person that opens up their eyes and just beholds creation is going to conclude 99% of the time, hey, there's a creator behind that. And that's cool. You tell me, like, it starts as a caterpillar and then, like, goes in the cocoon and it comes out like that. Are you kidding me? And it has basically no significance or bearing like on um, um, my life at all. But, but God's just like, hey, I'll throw them this. Hey, check this out. So creation itself can, can reveal to us like, hey, there must be a creator. There's something going on. There must be a, a God or several gods or something like that's easy. But guess what? The butterflies can't share the gospel with you. The trees can't tell you if you should date that non-believer that you've been looking at across the room. The mountains can't tell you how to live the Christian life. They can't do things like help you know the gospel, maintain spiritual life, to know God's will. Access to this knowledge comes only from Scripture. So here's an example. It really like irks me a little bit. There's a popular teaching that basically those that have no access to Jesus or the gospel will be able to be saved if they at least acknowledge by looking at creation that there's a God or, or creator of some kind. 
Essentially, what they're saying is that the word of God, I'm not saying that everyone has to have a Bible. I'm saying that these words are being proclaimed or paraphrased in some way. The gospel is being paraphrased and spoken to other people. They're saying that's not necessary for them to be saved. And you know what's crazy? That's a direct contradiction to Romans 10, 13 through 15. Listen to this. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, that's good. Not multiple lords, the Lord, singular. And then Paul asked this question. And, and tell me, why would he ask these following questions if it didn't matter if we sent the gospel? How then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? Okay, that's important. The one, right? Not the many, the one that they have not believed. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone to preach? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Guys, it's not enough for people to see the beauty of creation and just believe in some, whatever God they, man, man I've, I think some of you maybe had some overseas experience. Hey, it's, it's crazy. I, in East Asia, I just, man, I tried to so lovingly and gently share the gospel with some of my friends, and, and their worldview was essentially, hey, like, I see God here, I see God here, I see God here. And what I couldn't get in their heads is like, hey, you know that, um, you know that idol like that you went to um, little statue of Buddha that you went to, to to pray to before your exam. Who who made that? Oh yeah, I, like I've actually seen them made. These guys they they take this tree and they chop it down and they they kind of fashion it into like Buddha shape and they paint it and they refine it and they set it up and they kind of. I was like, okay, so you're worshiping something that was originally a tree that man made in, with his own hands. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, can I, can I tell you about the God of the Bible, can I, the, the God of, that says it's necessary to read scripture? And they said, yeah. I said, here's what's interesting. You worship a God that you can create with your own hands. I worship a God who created me with his own hands. And you can clap to that. That's awesome. That's true. Yeah, thanks, Kate. Yeah, that, that's just awkward, guys. Yeah, stop clapping. Stop clapping. Hey, isn't that true? I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say it again. I told them, you worship a God that you created with your own hands. I worship a God that created me with his own hands. <laughs> JT, my man. Not clap for me. This is, this is God's, this is truth. The only way for anyone to know the gospel is through hearing God's word proclaimed. And to those same people, after I said that, I opened, continued to open up the word of God to proclaim the gospel. You know why? Because it's, ne it's a necessity. It's essential. If they don't have it, man, they can, they can know everything they want to about that tree and what happened to it, but they don't know their savior. Man. And so here's my application. Embrace the necessity of Scripture for yourself and for others. We need Scripture desperately. Without having God's holy word in our midst, I have no doubt none of us would be in this room right now. 
We wouldn't know the gospel. This, this is good. God's word is so good. But in steps the critic. Hey, Cole, God's word is good, but it can't help me with everything. I'd say, good job, genius. No, sorry. <laughs> I know that. Look, it's a big book, but it doesn't cover quantum physics. And I'm glad because if it covered quantum physics and it was inspired, man, my heart would be in a bad place. I'd be like, skip. It'd be like Leviticus, skip. See you. You know what I'm saying? But, but low, quantum physics is good. Science is good. It's created by God. All things that are discovered to be truthful are from God. All right. I, I believe that. But you're right. It does not cover everything you need to know. And you probably caught the pattern. That's where our last point is leading us. What must a Christian believe about the Bible? For sure that it's authoritative, that it's clear, that it's a necessity. You have to have it. But then as we examine verses 16 through 17 again, you know it's so clear. A Christian must believe in the sufficiency of God's word. That's a word that doesn't resonate as much with us in our vocabulary, so let me expand that. The sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history. And that it now contains everything we need God to tell us for these things, for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. So here's what I'm going to zoom in on. You're right. Not a lot about quantum physics, not a lot of explanation, not how to fix a car, not how to buy a house, not how to get a job, things that like are very relevant, not how to pass a class. Like, guys, I know, like, all right, maybe like, hard work ethic toward those things, but man, it doesn't have, there's not like an index in the back that's like, oh, tomorrow's test. Okay, thank you, God. Nothing, nothing. But here is where I want you to lean in. That quote was from Wayne Grudem, Systematic Theology, and he says that it is helpful for obeying him perfectly. So let's zoom in on obeying him perfectly. How many of you, in wanting to obey God, have asked the question, what is God's will for my life? How many of you have asked the question, where should I go to college? How many have asked, should I go to college or not? How many of you still don't know the answer to that question? You're just like, I'm going to come to the journey. Where should I go to work? Should I apply for this internship? Should I apply for this job? Should I date this person? Should I drink this? Should I eat this? Should I say what I'm about to say in that way? You get it? All right. You know how to get these answers? When we believe that scripture is sufficient, here we go. If you're a note taker, I'll write notes here. The first way is you ask these questions. Is the thing you are asking about, is it clearly commended? So is the scripture praising it like, yes, do this, very clear. Is it clearly commended? Is it commanded or encouraged in scripture? All right, here's an example. <laughs> Cole, I just, um, man, I'm really struggling. I just don't know. Should I go share the gospel with my lost roommates? Yes. Yes, you should. Like Matthew 28, 19, like go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing, share the gospel, right? Like 
don't ever quote me on this, but like, don't even go pray about it. Like the word's so clear. Yes, go share the gospel with your roommates. That's so clear. The word of God commends it. It commands it, encourages it. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Here's the second thing. Ask is the thing you are asking about clearly disobeying God's word or is it contradicting it? Example, should I have sex with my girlfriend or boyfriend before marriage or should I date an unbeliever? The word of God says no, no, and no. The Bible has a vision for you that perfectly, not perfectly, but it's supposed to be a reflection of God and his beauty and how he's created you and wired you, male and female, within a covenant of biblical marriage. Anything outside of that, it's not only a no, it's just, man, it's like, it's like digging in the trash when you could just wait and dive into the treasure. The Bible speaks so clearly to this. Second Corinthians 6, 14 says not to be equally, un, not to be unequally yoked. And some people will say, modern scholars are like, well, that's actually about Christian relationships. It's not about dating. And so here, okay, let's examine this. Y'all can tell I'm fired up tonight. So you're telling me that you want me to apply the concept of not being unequally yoked. And so basically you're, you're not putting yourself in community. You're not aligning yourself and just general friendships and relationships. You're saying that's what this verse says. So that's good. So don't, don't be yoked. Don't find yourself always aligned. And don't always just hang out with people that are going to be a bad influence with you or tear you down or kind of draw you away from the Lord. But that's just with friendships. Just with friendships. But you're saying not to apply that to an even more deeper intimate relationship where it's so much more important that you're both believers? I mean, do you know what happens on a wedding day after the wedding on the honeymoon? Like there is like, I'm just being real guys. Like there is, there is a union, like you become one with, and, and what this passage is saying, making so clear. You're like, is this about dating? What is this sermon about? All right. It makes it so clear. You see what I'm saying? That God has a design for us. And his word speaks. And so if, if you want to do something else, man, go. But don't you dare say that God's word didn't speak to it because he loves you and he wants, he wants you to live in subjectivity like, well, maybe I can do this. He's spoken. He's made it so clear for you to know how to live. Third, here, let me repeat the questions. I spent a long time on that. The first question is the thing you're asking about, is it praise, is it encouraged or commanded in scripture? If, if yes, that's easy. Number two, is it clearly disobeying God's word or contradicting if you do it? If so, hey, no, don't do it. That's simple. Here's the third one. Here's where most of us wrestle, I think, a lot of the time. Where the Bible doesn't speak clearly, search your heart and motives. Say that again. Where the Bible doesn't speak clearly, search your heart and motives. So here's the question. Should I choose this major? I would ask, why do you want to do this? Do you want to study this to get that good job and that, have that 401k and that nice car? Those things aren't bad. Are, are, are you really hoping, and whatever you do, hey, I think this is how God's gifted me, and I want to leverage this one day to influence others for the glory of Jesus. You see that? Here's another way. Should I begin dating? We've already covered this, this Christian guy or girl. We've gone past, it's not just general. Should I be dating this Christian guy or going? I ask you, I get asked this quite often. And I would ask, would you be content and continue rejoicing in your identity in Christ? Continue just to enjoy Jesus and find your greatest pleasure and purpose in him if you began dating? 
or as soon as you did, would this person replace Jesus as your greatest pleasure and purpose? Would they become your idol? Would all of your um, emotions and security be totally dependent upon what they say and how quickly they text back or not? And if they have decided to leave you, uh, turn off their read receipts just because they started dating you? Like, you get what I'm saying? Like, does it, does it depend on that? The answer to that question is very different depending on what the answer is. So if you're going to turn to them and make them into a God when Jesus is your God, then I would say no, probably not. But if you're going to continue to let God be God in your life and approach dating in a way that honors him, I would say, yeah, I think that's good. What am I getting at? Here's our application, last one. We need to stop trying to answer life's questions with Google and start answering them in all possible with the word of God first. Be so quick to run to this, guys. Be so quick to run. If you don't know, I'm not going against one of my other points. If you really don't know, ask. Ask someone here. Ask me. I, I, would, I would love to, to show you where it is and just let God's word speak. I won't even try to convince you. I'll just let it speak. There are so many other things in the Bible that I don't have answers to, says skeptic. How am I supposed to know what's wise how am I supposed to make choices that please God? Come on, there's got to be more, right? Y'all resonate with that? I would say if you're reading the Bible consistently, what you're going to find is that over the course of time, look at like older brothers and sisters, 60s, 70s, been reading the God, word of God. They're wise. Not because their IQ is higher than you. It's because they've, they've become people of the word. It means there's a less and less time transgresses between when they ask a question and before they get to the word of God. So when you first become a Christian, it takes like days. And hopefully by the time you're 60 or 70, you're like, bam, bam, bam. You're thinking like that. It's not because you're smarter. It's because you hold this in such high regard. You know, I want my answer to come from here. This is it. So the more you're in the word, the more you're going to make wise, godly decisions, even when the word doesn't speak to those things explicitly. Isn't that cool? So what must a Christian believe about the Bible? We must believe that it has authority, that it's clear, that it's a necessity, and that it is sufficient. Again, I may not be able to go rounds and rounds with someone about quantum mechanics, but I can have enough access to be with my Lord and Savior someday. I can know what I'm supposed to believe about the gospel. I can know how to live the Christian life. I may not get like a, a ribbon at the end of my life. It's like, this dude is really smart, but I can get a ribbon that has Christ on it. Just bam, right here. He's of Christ. He belongs to Christ. I have one objection that I want to address and then we'll conclude for tonight. What we just laid out, I don't know so much in this circle because I haven't said anything that counter to any teaching that's happened here before. But what we've just laid out can be really offensive because what I just said and what I believe the reformers said, those people that, like Martin Luther, William Tyndale, that died, um, that we could be in here and read God's word. I just said that you have to believe these things about the Bible to be a Christian. Now, a fair objection that you would have is like, hold on a second. I'd like to be a Christian just to believe that Jesus died for my sins, he rose from the grave, follow him, put my faith in him, all those things like that. Cole, are you adding to the faith? I'd say, no, I'm not. Here's what I'm saying. 
You stop believing any, any one of these four things, any two of them, three, or all of them. It's a slippery slope. If you stop believing in these things, let me ask you, when you encounter hard times in life, you know what happens? All the psalms that talk of God's goodness, all the psalms of lament and suffering as he's crying out to God in suffering, but yet declaring, but you are good and I trust you and you're worthy, all those go out the door. And when you encounter suffering, God is bad now. God hates you. And why shouldn't you hate God if, you, if it's not authoritative? Hey, you're, you're in a really bad relationship that you know you're not supposed to be in, but in those moments, it feels good to be in it and be doing what you're doing. When the word of God is not your authority, when it's not necessity, when it's not informing how you live, you're going to stay in that relationship. There's a a well-known pastor by the name of Joshua Harris. He's a writer as well. He wrote um, a book that I suffer from called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Yeah, yeah, it was like a great book. I'm just joking for any of you that like that book. It has some good truths to it, but he later recanted it. He basically said, kiss dating goodbye, no more dating. Like he went on less hardcore, like singleness only kind of thing for a while. Had some good premises, but anyway, he wrote actual like really good books as well. Pastored this amazing church. Was he like came on staff when he was like 30 years old, like very knowledgeable, very godly man. Years went by. And just within a year or so, found out dude has left his church, he's left his wife, and he's denounced the Christian faith entirely. And as interviewers began, like, I was like, I've got it. What in the world? Like, I know this guy. I read his book. He wrote a foreword of one of my favorite books called Humility by C.J. Mahaney. Y'all hear me say humility a lot. It's because of this book. So blame him if you don't like me talking about it. All right. And so he forwarded this. And I'm like, Josh Harris? And he began talking about his experience. He began talking about why he made this decision. And you know what? As I listened to him, here's what the Bible says about the Christian faith. Here was what Josh Harris was saying. I was like, your experience that you're talking about, I have no idea where you got that from. That's not the gospel. His view of God, saying, kind of like Martin Luther before he knew the true gospel, he felt this, that God was constantly like, angry with him or whatever. He said, if I just stop believing in God, this is a lot of guys recently in the past couple of years, if I just stop believing in God, then man, all this guilt went away. Well, I bet it did, but it should be there because you're a sinner and you need his salvation. And so as I began to listen to him, it's very clear. Josh Harris stopped believing that the word of God was authoritative. Josh Harris stopped believing that it was, it was clear. Obviously, dude, like you're super smart. Just like read book of Romans or something, like read something. He stopped believing that it was necessity for his life. He must have if he believed these things and he stopped believing that it was sufficient. He left his church. He left his wife and he left the faith. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. I don't want to end on that negative note. You can never go wrong holding this book in the highest regard possible. You will always go wrong holding it as anything less than authoritative, clear, sufficient, and necessity. Nothing good has ever come from someone saying, 
that the Bible is actually not authoritative. Nothing productive has ever come from someone saying, you know what, I know it says this, but I'm going to do that. But friends, you want to you live a life where you're just like rocking the kingdom of God, where, you're, where God is just, it seems like, man, like, like everything you do, it's not perfect. Life isn't just full of, just a life without suffering, I'm not saying that. But you want to live life to the fullest, so you be a person of this book. And you hold it in high regard. So as we end, how, really important question, because otherwise we've just kind of done something good. We've given a doctrine of scripture. How does the gospel tie into this? Here's what I mean. We, we all once disbelieved that scripture was the word of God. Some of you are like, I, I became a Christian when I was five. Yeah, me too. But even as a five-year-old, four-year-old, I didn't like what God's word said. And God in his love and mercy came and softened my little five-year-old heart and showed me the gospel, and I believed. Some of you may be a little bit older. I don't know. But everyone at one time, you know what we all did? We all did not see this book as authoritative. We all did not believe it was sufficient and necessary. That it had nothing for us. And God did something in our hearts. And maybe for some of you who have not reached that point, maybe that's what he wants to do tonight. And so where does the gospel tie into this? The gospel is that Christ died for the skeptic too. Christ died for the person that really struggles with believing that this is actually the book and the source for spiritual wisdom. Isn't that amazing? So like even in your skepticism, someone who's not a believer in this room, like, hey, like I, I get where you're coming from. But what Christ wanted to do when you, while you're kind of wrestling with, man, is this true? While you're doing that, do yourself a favor and gaze at the cross and see what he did for you that you might believe in him. He says, hey, you don't have a perfect view of scripture right now, but while you're at it, look at what I did for you. I died for you that you can be reconciled to me. Hey, let's take care of this as you grow and as you mature in the Christian life. That makes sense? Let's take care of these things afterwards. First things first, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second, for those of us that are Christians, for those of us that are, I'm not stuttering, for those of us that are trying to mature in the Christian faith, when you have moments of skepticism, when you have moments like, man, I don't, I don't know if this is true. I feel bad. I don't want, I don't want to be in the Word because I don't like being in this part of the reading planner. I don't, man, I, I'm just so mad that this says this. I'm mad that God let this happen or whatever. Instead of feeling guilty, instead of feeling like, man, I must not be a real Christian, step back and realize that even in your skepticism, even in your lack of belief that God's Word is perfect, a authoritative and true. Christ died for that. And he's with you. He wants to show you in that moment of weakness, in that moment where you're tempted to believe anything less than this is true and good. He wants to bring you back into that and show you his goodness again. And the Holy Spirit himself, when I talk about interpreting scripture, the hard parts in life, you know who does that? Not me. The Holy Spirit does that. You read, you pray, God, I don't understand this. And the Holy Spirit searches and he shows you, hey, remember that truth from Romans 5? Hey, remember that truth from Genesis 1? And you're like, oh my goodness, that's true. That's God. He loves you. So if, I met, if this sermon met you tonight in a place where you honestly, I don't love this book. I don't care much about it. I haven't read it in forever. I only read it when we're here. Hey, there is hope for you and me tonight. There is hope for us of a sure and trustworthy word in a world of words from every direction and angle that usually amount to 
untrustworthy. There's hope of a trustworthy word. In a world that rejects or questions authority, in steps the authoritative word of God. In a world of confusion, in steps the word of God with perfect clarity for everyone of any race, ethnicity, age, or gender, or level of education, in steps the word of God with perfect clarity for them to read. And for all nations, Matthew 28, 19, in a world that tells us you need this or you need that, in steps the word of God, a true necessity. In a world that can never get enough and tells you that you, should ne- you can never get enough, in steps the word of God that is totally sufficient to provide knowledge of salvation and the wisdom and guidance to follow and obey the Lord. In a world with a lot of words, God gets the final word. Amen? It's right here. Let's pray. God, I'm going to get out of your way. I don't even need to do that. You're going to do it for me. I'm going to get out of your way. And I just ask you, bottom of my heart, that you teach us to hold your word in the ways we described tonight, that we would trust you. And it's not just paper and binding, but it's your gift to us to hear you speak, breathing out your words and wisdom and knowledge and love out on pages, even in our own language. And God, we're going to sing from, I hope from the bottom of our lungs, how great thou art. Not because it's just a song that we know, but because One day, a guy decided, I'm going to write words that are from Scripture talking about how great you are. We're going to sing Scripture to you, Lord. We're going to praise your name. We're going to sing the words that you've given us, ancient words, beautiful words. And these words are authoritative. They're clear. They're a necessity, and they're sufficient. And we're going to declare them to you tonight about you and praise your name. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about The Journey, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Journey LBK. Thanks for listening.